We'll hear argument now on number 981189, the Board of Regents of the University of Wisconsin System versus Scott Harold Southward. Uh, Ms. Allman. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. The University of Wisconsin, like public and private universities across the country, has long had and encouraged a wide range of student activities. At the University of Wisconsin, these activities are supported in part by disbursements from a student activity fund, which is a viewpoint-neutral forum for student groups. The First Amendment does not prohibit the University of Wisconsin from requiring all students to contribute to this viewpoint-neutral forum. Counsel, in, in the course of your argument, it seems to me that where there are three different things happening here, one is that the funds are allocated through the student council in a viewpoint-neutral manner, as you've just said. Uh, secondly, uh, funding can result from a referendum, like Wisberg had a referendum and the funds were paid by reason of the referendum, which it seems to me is not viewpoint-neutral. Uh, and third, and third, uh, some of the funds are used, or may be used, I'm not sure, uh, for what we might call quintessential political activity. Uh, hypothetically, this didn't happen, going to the New Hampshire primary and attending rallies and so forth. It seems to me that all three of those present maybe different problems. And at some point in your argument, if you could just address those. There are three different funding schemes. The first is the GSSF funding, which is funding for uh, organizations that provide services to significant numbers of students at the UW-Madison. The second is... uh, As to that, are the funds paid out by the Board of Regents? Uh, The funds are allocated by a student group. All the funds are in the state treasury and are uh, paid. Uh, They're not paid in a lump sum to the group. The group has to fill out a requisition form, and then the bill is paid by the fund. And are they limited to certain purposes? They are. They are limited to services for significant numbers of students uh, in the areas of student health, student life on campus, that sort of thing. But, I mean, the funds that are paid out, are they paid out to support telephone bills or uh, letter writing or what? Yes, there are specific budgets, and they, for the service organizations, they are for um, – For example, they can be the bus service, and that's passes to all the students. One of the groups they've challenged is the Campus Women's Center. That funds the physical place that the forum is, as well as the activities of the center. Is it it fair to say that the ultimate control over the payment of funds in this category is retained by the university? Uh, The ultimate control, yes, but it is a... It is a student group in all three that determine the funds, and the university provides a check. The university, at least in the first category, can, I guess they haven't done it, but they could say, no, we're not going to pay out the money for, for, for what you have selected in this respect. In all three categories, in theory, the university. Including the referendum category? Yes. Why don't you argue, as some of the amici did, uh, that, in fact, for that reason, you should analogize, we should analogize, uh, the position of the, the university uh, to the university's position when it decides uh, 
how to spend its own money, uh, how to choose its curriculum, how to invite speakers to the campus if it does that. It uh, is, why, why don't you argue? Is there a reason not to argue that? It is analogous to that situation, but here it is the students that are choosing which groups will speak, and that is very important. So you're the saying the analogy is not perfect, in other words? Because the university itself is not speaking. And do you do you choose do you uh, do you wish to adopt the position that uh, that some of the friends of the court have taken, or or do you in effect wish us not to adopt that position? Uh, I think I think we hold up under either position. I think our position, this court doesn't need to go as far as the position of some of the amici. I think we hold up under the student. Uh, determining where the money shall go. But who performs the checking function? You, you say in your brief that there's one exception uh, for p- partisan political activity. Mm-hmm. Justice Kennedy brought that up as one possibility. Who exercises the check to determine whether these student groups are engaged in partisan political activity? There is a representative from the Dean of Students Office who participates at the committee meetings and someone from the Dean of Students Office who must sign off on the requisitions for the funds. Um, There hasn't been any example in our record of the university turning down some funding because it's politically partisan. That is uh, uh, against the guidelines, I take it. If it were determined that a request for something was politically partisan, it would be turned down? It is against the guidelines. Uh, Ms. Ullman, you say say it's uh, uh, viewpoint neutral. Um, What what, what is that? I mean, somebody has to make a decision. whether it's the students or the university, uh, which speakers are going to be funded and which aren't. Uh, what, what if there, there is a, a student chapter of the KKK that, uh, that, that, that applies for funding? I, I assume somebody makes the decision that they will or will not get funding, right? Such a group would get funding, assuming that the group... Automatically? Uh, if it comes to the forum and does its application correctly, is compliance in compliance with the rules of being a registered student organization, doesn't discriminate, can fulfill those requirements, then it will get funding. See, that's what I didn't understand. Uh, Is it the case that all of the groups that didn't get funding under this program didn't request funding? That's correct, with the handful of exceptions of groups who didn't fill out their applications properly. I take it that even though partisan political activity is uh, not to be funded by uh, lobbying activities, lobbying in the legislature is, uh, may be. Is that correct? Uh, under one policy, it says um, lobbying should be excluded. We haven't found anything in this record that student activity funds paid for lobbying. There was lobbying, but there was no evidence that the funds paid for it. Well, but I, I suppose funds could be given to an organization generally that engages in lobbying. And the, the organization could say, well, we get our lobbying money from somewhere else, but then the student funds would simply supply uh, other uh, expenses of that organization. Yes, the student funds generally went to um, postage and um, 
uh, printing, office supplies, things of that nature. Ms. Allman, I have a basic question about why we should, in the first instance, adopt the, the, the forum analysis here. Um, it's a metaphorical forum. I mean, we start with that. We're not talking about a physical public forum. Uh, and there, there are two ways of looking at what goes on. One way, to be sure, is to look at it as a metaphorical forum. And another way is not to look at it as a forum and simply to look at it as a mechanism for funding various groups which uh, have ideological and various partisan identifications. One reason, so the question in my mind is what reason is there to adopt the, the, the forum metaphor rather than to look directly at who gets the money? One reason it occurred to me would be uh, that there was no other way or no practical way to have this sort of ferment of, of comment and, and, um, and speech except in this fashion. And yet that doesn't seem to be the case because I think, what, 70 percent of the student organizations seem to get along uh, without going through this process and availing themselves of the activity fund. So I'm left with the question, why should we adopt the forum metaphor as opposed simply to looking to where the money goes? I think there are several reasons for the forum metaphor. Um, First of all, in Rosenberger, this court did recognize that a student activity fund is a forum (coughs) like a park or any other forum. Um, well, the, the, the legitimacy of the uh, of, of the practice as a whole was not at issue in Rosenberger, as I recall. It was simply whether, if you have it, you have to provide it to uh, uh, to particular religious groups uh, as well as to everybody else. That's correct, and the parties here on both sides viewed this as a forum, um, and. In answer to your point about the hundreds of groups that don't get funding, I don't think that's actually an accurate representation of what's going on. Here we have a snapshot of one year, and these 125 groups get funding. But each year, the groups that get funding change. So to say 70 percent of them don't get funding, that Well, does it change, does it change radically? I mean, are there years in which 98 percent get funding? Um, I don't know that the percent changes radically, but out of the 18 groups that the respondents objected to, uh, two of those were not funded the next year, so that's a large. Okay. Well, it still leaves me, I think, with the, regardless of what the exact proportions may be, it still leaves me with the question: why we should adopt the the, the forum metaphor? And if if the argument were, you can't have the kinds of speech which is valuable in a university setting uh, without this practice, and hence the forum metaphor, in effect, is, is a way of describing a, 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 a at least a value of, of, of great importance, then I could understand that as a reason for adopting the metaphor. But given the fact that there are so many organizations in which I presume speech is going on uh, and people are coming to visit and speak and so on who don't avail themselves of this, 
I'm, I don't have that reason, at least it's not obvious to me, and I don't know what the other reasons are for adopting that, that form of analysis. I'm, I'm not sure that, y- that your second statement is true, that these groups are having speakers come anyway. Certainly the vast um, bulk of the speech that's discussed in the record is all coming from these groups. It takes money to invite a speaker. So the groups that uh, are inviting speakers to campus do need some funding. But do you have, and I, I don't want to get picky about it, but do you have record support here for the proposition that you simply cannot get prominent outside voices who stimulate thought without this kind of centralized funding mechanism? Um, I do have support from the dean of students who said that it takes an honorarium or travel expenses to get speakers. Well, sure, but uh, and lots of organizations in, invite us to speak, and they come up with their own honorariums. I don't know why that necessarily implies the need for the university to, to, to be the middleman here. The university <coughs> made the judgment that it is very important to it to have all of these different groups okay. funded. And the reason that the forum analogy works is because the students pay the money into a fund, and then all groups can speak. Well, Ms. Allman, uh, I'm curious to know, we've, we've talked about having speakers come to campus and the, the forum analogy generally. But I got the impression from the opinion of the Court of Appeals that a number of these funded groups don't purport to put up speakers and invite everybody to come. They simply go about their, their business, whatever it is. Uh, I, don't, I don't agree that that's true, but it, the forum is the pot of money. It's not, I'm not claiming that each individual group is holding a forum. Well, I was just, I was just curious factually, you know, whether mm-hmm. or not it supports a forum analogy. Mm-hmm. Aren't there some, some of these groups who do not have uh, big meetings on campus and invite speakers, but simply go about the work they're supposed to go about? Uh, when I, in our joint appendix, is an excerpt from the funding application of many of these objected to organizations, and they all talk about how they want to educate other well, students I'm and sure what how they they'll want, do. But what, what formal steps do they take to go ahead with this? I mean, other than just, you know, grab somebody while they're walking between classes. No. <laughs> Um, they do do that. They use chalkings. They do poster. Um, and they do invite speakers. They um, have art exhibits. They have photo exhibits. So they're engaging in all sorts of types of... Well, I'd like to talk about Whispered for a moment. Number one, that doesn't match the public forum description you've given us so far, because this was a direct referendum where 51% of the votes were enough to to fund $40,000 plus to Whisper. So that, it seems to me, is much different from the public forum argument that you've been making. Secondly, just on the Chief Justice's point, the Whisper application says that through, uh, it's, uh, through organizing new chapters throughout the state, this additional income will allow Whisper to hire professional staff necessary to play an even more effective role on environmental and consumer protection issues. Now, if you're, if you're going to be candid with us to tell us what's happening here, you should address that as well. All right. Um, Wisperg 
did voluntarily have a referendum that went to the student body, and it was voted that they would get a certain amount from each student's fees. Wisperg then had to go through the GSSF funding process. It had to fill out the application. It had to have a hearing before the committee where they would decide its funding. The committee voluntarily views that referendum as binding, and they use that as a minimum. But that's not, that's not viewpoint neutral, a viewpoint neutral form. That's correct. Wisperg is getting the funding through the services. So we have two cases here and not just one. That's correct. We have funding of services and we have funding of all uh, groups as a forum. Excuse me. You say Wisperg is just services? Wisperg was funded through the mechanism for student. I don't care what what mechanism was funded through. Was it just providing student services? Yes. Wisperg, in its application, says that in the past year it has served more than 20,000 people, 75 percent on the camp. What what, what does it serve them with? Meals? Why? It says it's offered them volunteer and internship programs for course credit and that they've had uh, at least 5,000 students use their educational materials on environmental and consumer well, issues. Well, I mean, you, you could call any speech serving students then. I mean, if, if that's your definition of serving students, telling them things. The, we have a stipulation as to what uh, the services organizations will do, and the Respondents haven't challenged that any particular. Oh, they, uh, they've certainly challenged that that this organization uh, uh, engaged in activities that didn't constitute student services. The, yes, and that including lobbying. Um, that's uh, factually disputed whether they engaged. Yes, in lobbying. we're talking about what the other side claims. Right. But given the position of the district court and the court of appeals, we never got to the point of examining these discrete questions, because both the District Court and the Court of Appeals thought the whole thing was no good. So it may well be that this separate category bears further pretrial development, but they didn't have an opportunity to do that. That's true. The case uh, was resolved on summary judgment, and um, the lower courts didn't seem to acknowledge the uh, separate funding. But if you if you can't enough. defend Wisberg on the public form analogy, how do you defend it? I'm still waiting for that. I'm I'm defending it as being one of the services organizations funded through the service well, mechanism. But why does why, why does that make a difference? You call a service organization, and yet it's just interested in propagating its views. Uh, I think that's simplifying too broadly well, what Wisperg does. but it Whisper does do does. a good deal of propagating of its views. I S- certainly, and it views, I mean, it views its own speech as educating uh, the students, and that's part of what a faculty is doing, too. Well, I'm sure the Republican students. and the Democratic parties think the same thing. And that's well, as the KKK. Could, I, could we go back to Justice Kennedy's first question? There are three different kinds of funding programs going on. That's right. The GFF, which you say is analogous to a forum, uh, and then the, the student referendum mechanism. And what's the third? Uh, sorry, the first is GSSF, which is funding services. And the second is ASM 
which is the forum, that's the Associated Students of Madison, the student government. And the third was Whisperg that had a referendum and then went through GS. There was a stipulation in the record uh, that the activity fund is administered in a viewpoint neutral fashion. That's correct. Did that extend only to the GSFF money or what? It was for the ASM money, which is the one that's the forum, and uh, it extended to GSSF insofar as no group was discriminated against. No group, there's no evidence a group was denied funding for its views, but they were screened as to whether they were serviced. The stipulation does not extend to the student referendum mechanism, I gather. Right. All right. And the referendum would also work to defund, as I understand it, that the students could veto. If somebody gets through the regular process and the students can have a referendum and say, we don't want that group funded, isn't that so? Uh, I do know that the United States uh, Student Association lost its funding by referendum the year after it got funding in here, so that must be... um, True. What happened was they asked for funding again, and it was voted. What was that organization? It's an organization of different um, student governments. I guess the First Amendment is supposed to, in part, protect views that are unpopular. That's correct. But I would think a referendum would pick out the views that on campus were popular. So what is it that you suggest we do about this campus referendum? I think the campus referendum for Whisperg went through the uh, Student Services Organization. And I think funding services for significant numbers of students is a legitimate function for any university. And if there's a problem with a particular organization that um, got funding through that mechanism, that it's not really a service or something like that, that's a specific challenge to a case it's so, so in her view the campus could have only liberal organizations which are just popular on campuses and the conservative ones which happen to be very unpopular they wouldn't give any of the money to no That's, that that well, i mean on on this uh, on this through this route you'd call it a service is is that is that basically what you're saying in uh, other words if it's called a service money for a service in your opinion, they could give them only to the liberal organizations which are popular and not give them to the conservative ones which are unpopular if it's called a service. I don't, I don't really think it's fair to say if it's called a service. No, no, but I'm trying to elicit your view. Right. Uh, if, what, is, what is If it could um, fit the criteria for being a service, which we had stipulated to what that is. That criteria is? That it provides direct ongoing services to significant numbers of UW-Madison students. The fund should also contribute significantly to student health, safety, or academic success. But that includes hiring professional staff to have a more effective role in environmental and consumer protection issues. Whisperg was That's a service in your view. Well, Whisperg was able to show to this organization that it was providing a service. The dean of students. That's a service in your view. What I've just quoted. Yeah. Uh, everything Whisperg's providing together is yes. Well, then sir, service is just a great, huge, mother hubbard type of blanket. <laughs> 
Is it, is it, I mean, if, if that is a service, then presumably all sorts of organizations that uh, have, may have quite partisan views uh, and spend their time trying to persuade students of their, of their merit are all engaged in services to the students. No. Wishburg um, received its funding, and the dean of students said, it has, Wishburg has been especially effective in helping students identify projects that fit with their academic work in the classroom so that students can experience both service and learning around the same topic. Yeah, but that, that, that was by no means all that that organization did, was it? it no, it did a lot of things, that's for sure. But it, let, let, me, let me understand what you're saying. Is it only the services branch of funding that can be mandated or vetoed by a student referendum. I thought the student referendum could uh, could knock out somebody who gets another kind of funding as well. Uh, I don't think the student referendum could just knock out any group, but that is not clear in our record. uh, All the student groups are getting funding through the ASM. is, is it your, your statement that the student rec- referendum only applies to the s- services category? Is there somewhere w- w- where we can see this in the university regulations or something? Uh, I don't know. The, uh, as far as we know, the student referendum applies to all, all of these three different sorts of funding. Uh, I guess in theory it could. It's quite a big problem, isn't it? I mean, your, your own Mikey have run away from you on this Wisberg issue. Right. And, and, and so now if this student referendum applies to the whole business, it's going to be pretty hard to get the minorities' uh, 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 funding. Well, the, the important mechanism that's getting funding here is this forum. It wouldn't be practical for groups that are getting just a, very small amounts to go try to uh, set up this referendum process. It would cost them more to do that than they are getting in this funding. Hundred, more than a hundred groups are getting funding from the forum, and they express all different views. And the university wants those minority groups to be or unpopular groups to be able to speak too. And, and that's, that's all that all that is a service. No, that is the. Associated Students of Madison Forum funding. In, in your view, was the newspaper in the Rosenberger case a service? It sounds to me like it is, as you define it. Uh, and I simply can't buy that argument. I, I don't think it needed to be a service. It was part of the forum in that case. And in this case, the 125 student groups are part of the vast bulk of the groups that are funded are through the forum. They aren't funded through this service organization. If I could reserve. Ms. Elman, would you just clarify one point for me? Will you tell me how the university defines partisan political activity? What falls under that label that's not permitted to be funded? I mean, one question came up about lobbying, and I wasn't sure whether you said yes or no to that. The, um, there are two policies. One is for the GSSF student funding, that mechanism. And it says the organization does not have a primarily political orientation, i.e., it is not a registered political group and shall not use SUFAC funds for any lobbying purposes. So lobbying is 
definitely one using the funding for those purposes. Well, is it only to prevent it? I, I take it the partisan organizations are excluded from these benefits, not merely because they, they lobby, but because they are partisan political organizations. That's correct. Well, if that is, and, and well, maybe I shouldn't get ahead of myself. Why, do, why does the university so accept them? What's uh, the reason for that? The university has ex- traditionally excluded partisan, political, and religious activities. After Rosenberger, um, it's Well, let's leave religion out for a minute and and just talk about politics. I mean, you know, the core First Amendment value is in political speech. Why is political speech excluded? Only partisan partisan political speech. speech. Why is it excluded? Because the university wants to avoid the appearance of political favoritism. The Wisconsin legislature provides hundreds of millions of dollars to the university. So it's not that the university believes there's a First Amendment reason for the exclusion. Uh, it just doesn't want politics uh, in any way that might be identified with the university. It doesn't want to get in touch with the legislature, basically, I guess. That's right. It wants to confine the forum to the purposes that it defined it for. In Rosenberger, they also uh, excluded political activities of electioneering and lobbying. If you're excluding that kind of politics, what does that do to your, uh, to your forum analysis? I don't think it harms the forum analysis. It's rather an odd forum, isn't it? No, it only excludes a very narrow band of yeah, It excludes a narrow band, which in fact is the, is the, is the, the principal object in, in the first instance of First Amendment protection. Yes, but there's still at this forum a wide range of speech that can be heard. And the, this court has recognized that you can exclude a, a class of speech um, in Cornelius versus the end of All right. Can the, the, do you take the position that the university could exclude funding for uh, an, an avant-garde arts organization? I don't think so. That sounds Why? like it would be viewpoint-based rather that's, than That's right. It, that's, that's the way it sounds to me, and it sounds to me as though you've got the same point with your political exclusion. No. We're excluding an entire uh, class of speech, an entire category. We're not excluding a particular viewpoint. Just partisan political, though. That's, that's, that's a viewpoint, it seems to me. If I hold these views, but I'm not a Democrat, I can, I, you know, I can spew them, but if, if I, uh, and get funded for it. But if I, once I affiliate with a party, uh, then I can't. I, I think the, um, the university has limited the partisan political, the respondents haven't challenged that category of funding. They've challenged the funding mechanism. If there's a problem with excluding partisan political, then that's a Rosenberger-type case that uh, isn't here. Thank you. Very well, Ms. Almond. Uh, Mr. Lawrence, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. For each one of the three parts of the university's funding system, the referendum, the services that are funded under GSSF, and the ASM system, the same constitutional principle applies. The university violates the the principle against compelled funding of political 
and ideological speech laid out in Abood and Keller. With the referendum system, we do not even have a Rosenberger issue at all, because it arguably cannot be a forum at all. Rosenberger is relevant to the GSSF services aspect and the ASM, but in both cases, they are mainly, uh, the main part of both of those is to fund the political and ideological uh, activities and advocacy of these groups. I thought there was a stipulation in the record that the funding process is administered in a viewpoint-neutral fashion. That's right. Is there such a stipulation? Yes, Justice O'Connor. Okay. I guess that doesn't extend to the referendum process. It it does not. It it does not. Okay. Can we leave that referendum out of it on the theory that it isn't really developed fully in front of us in the lower court opinions and anything? And simply express no view on it and deal with the rest of it. What would be wrong with uh, uh, doing that? I think you have sufficient, uh, uh, Justice Breyer, sufficient things in the record to see that these groups that are funded by the referendum, Wisberg, engage in very obvious political and ideological speech. The students are compelled to find it. All that's true. What I'm thinking is that, that most of the case, except for that, is presented to us in terms of what the First Amendment requires in respect to a system that's viewpoint neutral. The problem with that referendum is is perhaps it isn't. And so would it make sense for us, and can we in this case, leave that part of it out, say it isn't developed fully in the record, uh, uh, or in the in the courts below, even if it is in the record, and deal with the rest of it. I think it's an easier case. I think it's more straightforward. I think it's an obvious issue of compelled speech, and I think this court could easily separate that out and say uh, the other ones may be a closer call because of a Rosenberger issue, but the the referendum is definitely way over the compelled speech line of a Boot and Keller, and and I, I think that you could handle it that way. Now the yes. other one. May I ask this yes. general question, if I'm — some of these things obviously are troubling that have been identified in the questions. I'm wondering if they are troubling just because it's stu- financed by student speech, or would it be equally troubling if it was financed out of the general tuition or appropriation by the legislature? Uh, would you think the program would be valid if it were pro- financed with state if, funds? Uh, there would be no First Amendment claim challenge that could be brought if it was funded by taxation. I understand that, but that's, I'm trying to leave that out and ask you whether you think the program has these vices in it that would survive no matter who, how it was funded, uh, well, as long as it's state money or student money, either one. If it's, if it's tuition money, I think it would depend on how it's done. But the way it's done exactly the same as in this case. I think that then it would mean... There's uh, no government. Uh, they're, they're not agents of the government. They don't come under the government speech doctrine. They're not part of the university uh, program. Uh, even though they're being paid by tuition, it's basically they're giving them money and say, do what you want, promote so their own would, agenda. Could they salvage the program by abolishing student fees and increasing the tuition an exactly the same amount? Would you have a constitutional objection in the program if they it, did it, that? Justice Stevens, it would depend on how they do it. They do it just the way they do it in this record. I think that we could because, but it would be a, it would be shifting tuition to pay for a group in a way that they, they have not used tuition ever before. Yeah, but, but the, fairly the, simple solution. I just wonder if you think it would be a valid solution. Uh, 
Well, if they're going to make these groups agents of the university, they're going then to do I think exactly they what they do here, except they just raise the money a little differently. And I think there would still be a challenge because they they would be giving government, uh, they would be giving private money to private groups to do their that are independent of the university to pursue their own political and ideological. See, the thing that strikes me about the case is I'm not I w- I'm wondering if the source of the funds is really the problem or the way in which the program is administered is the real problem. That's what I'm trying to sort out in my mind. Well, I, I think that uh, uh, the the government speech doctrine, I think, provides a line here that maybe this is — I'm trying to discern what you might be getting at here — that uh, if we're talking about things that the university is funding with its academic program, with tuition, where it says this is the University of Wisconsin, uh, this, these are our agents, that type of thing, I think that would be a government speech issue. There would be no challenge to that. There would be no First Amendment right to opt out of funding something like that. Well, what if the university uses tuition money to have speakers that come from all these various perspectives at a university auditorium? I think that that... They use the tuition money to do that. That would be acceptable because, from what I understand, it would be part of the government. It would be the University of Wisconsin extending its agency or sponsorship or something over that event. And I don't think there could be a challenge. Well, what if the university does that and lets a student group meet to decide uh, what uh, speakers will be invited to on some of these issues in the middle, I'm not exactly sure. The facts would have to be specific, but I think the issue, the, where the line would be drawn, as it was in Rosenberger and Rust, is, is this a government speech? Is this a government actor uh, with the authority or the sponsorship uh, agency of the university? Well, if the university is saying, we want every student to pay $50 a semester to an activity fund, and we require that, and it's mm-hmm. going to be used for these um, activities, yeah. then why isn't that government speech? Because there is, it's clear from uh, the, the student operations handbook, which is in the record, it's not in the joint appendix, that the, stu- the registered student organizations are distinct, separate, independent, private that they, they are, they're, they're talked about how uh, they are not university actors. In fact, uh, they could not be sued. Uh, the university could not be sued to say uh, one of your groups did something wrong. They're clearly separate gov- from the government here, from the university. So the, the st- But I don't understand that. Surely the government can invite an outside group to come and give a speech or put on a presentation using uh, government money, tuition money, to ask them to do that. Th- that's it correct. have the same situation. Yeah, I, I think that it would, I think the issue would be sponsorship. Is this the University of Wisconsin sponsoring this event? Then I think it would be a government speech, it would be protected under the government speech doctrine. If it's well, we're kind of inviting you in an informal way, but the sponsorship is with the private organization, then I think it would be private speech still. What do you mean by sponsorship? In other words, what, what is this magical quality of sponsorship? Isn't, isn't the only issue uh, is, is, is speech being promoted uh, and, and who, in effect, is, is responsible for paying for it? Well, as, as I understand the government speech doctrine from Rust, and it was discussed somewhat in Rosenberger, 
that the universe, that there's no claim to challenge the government's own speech or when the government designates agents right. to be right. their speakers. Yeah. So if there's an invitation by the university for someone off campus to come on and speak, maybe the, the speaker is controversial. I think the, and I think the issue would be, is this, is there some sort of sponsorship? Is this the government? Well, you're, what you're getting at, I think, is, is the government ultimately responsible for this? Isn't that it? I mean, if the government is, if, if the government authority is being used to raise the money, uh, and, and thereby to make the invitation possible, and the government approves this use, the government establishes the means by which selection shall be made, it sounds like government speech. And uh, the, you're, you're introducing at least a rhetorical element of sponsorship, and I just don't understand what sponsorship might be in addition to these items I've just checked off. Justice Souter, what you said I think is what I'm trying to get at. I think okay. to, to capsulize it in one word, I'm having some difficulty doing that. But what you're saying I think is okay. what I'm trying to say. Well, I don't, I don't, I didn't understand that to be government speech. I thought the government speech doctrine uh, applied to speech which the government does not disclaim. I mean, I'm sure when, when they have these forums of the sort you're discussing now, the university says, you know, when we bring in whoever it is, uh, his views are not necessarily those of the university. As far as I'm concerned, that's the end of the government speech doctrine. The purpose of the government speech doctrine is to enable the government to take positions on, on public issues against the KKK, against all sorts of things that the government thinks is bad. And that doesn't violate the First Amendment. The government's entitled to take positions. But what uh, the, the hypothetical that's been posed to you does not involve the university taking positions. It just involves the university sponsoring it. I don't, I don't see that that invokes the government speech doctrine. Well, Justice Scalia, what you're saying is, is definitely the application of how the doctrine has been done in the cases of this court. But I think it would also be uh, within the parameters of that doctrine to say that the university can operate a system where it has speakers, professors, outsiders to come in and speak views, and the university can protect them in a sense from a case I like I can that. see that, too, where, where the university uh, selects professors and decides what courses will be, will be taught and so forth uh, as part of its instructional uh, uh, mission. Uh, and with, you know, with an eye to the subject matter. It won't let any subject matters be taught and so forth, uh, nor any views. I mean, it'll, you know, scientifically worthless views, it won't let in. That's not viewpoint neutral. But it's part of the university's instructional program. And if the hypothetical were the university establishes a forum in which it selects the speakers, then, then I could understand that that's part of its instructional program. But when the university just sets up a form and says, we'll pay the money, the students can decide what, what speakers they want, you, you say that still comes within government speech because it is, quote, sponsored by the university. I don't, I don't see that at all. I, I think that uh, uh, I'm not talking about mere labels. I'm thinking about the reality of what's going on, of, of, of the situation. If it's basically the university or the government pulling the strings, operating it, then I think it comes under the government speech doctrine. And this, that's a limitation, I think, on the, uh, the cause of action. I agree with that. If, if what you mean by pulling the strings and operating it is selecting the speakers. Yes. 
Yes. What about the situation in which the university says, we think a babble of voices is a very good thing, uh, is, and, and we are going to pay for those voices. We're going to pay to get them here. Uh, you can see that, and I thought you were saying that, too, would fall within the umbrella of government speech, or it should. Well, I, I think that is, is that your position, or isn't it? Yes. I mean, I think that the, okay. the government. That's a government that has nothing to say. Well, I mean, <laughs> the, the point of this is so that the government, the university can have a state university system if it wants. The difference here under a boot and teller is that people cannot be compelled to fund private speech of independent entities, which, which is what we have here. Why aren't they doing that if, they, if there is no student activity fee and it just comes out of tuition? I mean, they're compelled to pay for all kinds of things they may not believe in that are being taught on the campus. I think tuition itself does not answer the question, I, that it's paid by tuition. I think, Justice Ginsburg, it has to be, uh, is there some level of uh, university control over this? Because the university said in its brief that it uses tuition money to pay for the instructional program of the university. So I think if it was paying for these groups with tuition money, it would transform them into agents of the university. They'd be part of the instructional program, which I think most of these groups would object to. They want their independence. They want to be able to freely lobby at the Wisconsin legislature on their issues. I don't understand why the university couldn't say, we'll run it exactly as we've been running. We'll delegate the authority to make the decisions of the various student groups, but instead of using a student activity fee, we'll just put in a pot of money at their disposal. Well, I think you'd still have the same objection. Well, the, um, or maybe you wouldn't. You haven't really made it clear to me whether you The would. university, as a state actor, may have an educational mission that's broad, but it still has a It's whatever the mission of this program is. Just, you know, just, they just say we're going to finance it in a different way. Would it become all right or wouldn't it? I can't figure out from your — you've given well, a lot of legal answers, but I know it's a yes or no question. And I, I don't get I, Justice Stevens, I don't think I can give a straight answer in that. Uh, it would depend on exactly how they're doing it. I think it's the way, they're the, way doing the record shows in this case. If they're doing it the same way they're doing it now with tuition money, I still think there would be a cause of action of of because the groups would be. Now, I think you're right. I mean, I, that, that's but that if you agree with that, then I don't think the fact that your people object to some of the speech has anything to do with the case. It's just that the, the program as a whole is objectionable because it's slanted one way or another and funds certain activities. Well, well, it's, it's because uh, they're funding the speech of these organizations as opposed to some sort of uh, conduit for it, uh, that the speech is converted into the speech of the, of the, the message of these groups. I, I take it there are two principles. One is that the state university can teach what it wants as it wants to teach it. Yes. The other is that it violates the First Amendment to compel a private person to speak when he or she does not want to. That's exactly right. And we're trying to accommodate these two yes. principles, and it's a question of proximity and degree. There are going to be some close calls. Yes. This case, in your view, is not a close call because we're not using tuition funds. That's right. That's exactly right, Justice Well, then why, why if you can, uh, I, I can understand how you analogize it to Abood and the bar cases, yes. because you're saying that uh, here is a condition for going to this state university. Yes. You have to give money, let's say, to the IWW, the, the right. Wobblies or something. Right. You know, or, uh, yes. That would be very analogous. Yes. But then the reply is that's not what's happened here. 
It's not that you're giving money to a union or the Wobblies or somebody. Rather, what you're doing is giving money to a bunch of organizations uh, so that all, uh, in a viewpoint-neutral way, have a chance to engage the students in a certain amount of activity that is at least distantly related uh, to uh, 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 educational objective. And so why doesn't that difference make the difference? Whether you call it a public forum, whether you don't call it a public forum, who cares? Uh, basically, the difference is what I just described. And why doesn't that make the difference in terms of the First Amendment? Justice Breyer, because the students have a First Amendment right not to speak. So to fund some voices that they agree with or don't care about and some that they disagree with, I still think violates the, the principle. But in the concept context of a university setting, uh, from, from ancient times, uh, universities have been places where ideas, including political ideas, yeah. are debated. That's part of the life of the university. And it seems to me the difficulty with your position um, is that you're asking us to do something which is against the tradition of universities for many, many years, for many well, centuries. Justice Kennedy, I, don't, I think that uh, it is clear from the record that wide-range debate will not disappear or be significantly diminished by uh, allowing objecting students to opt out. Yeah, I'm, I'm not you, you accept the, uh, the proposition that this is a, a timeless function of universities? And I don't know, for, for, from the Middle Ages, they have funded student groups uh, to... No, 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 is, no, they've had diverse speech. They've had well, diverse, of course they have. Yeah, yeah, they have diverse professors whom they hire and, 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 and who are speaking on behalf of the university, presumably. Groups. But this is... Uh, I, I would point out to this court on this matter that at, at the Joint Appendix 300, the university states that the mandatory fee system is not the, main, the primary way the groups are funded. The primary sources of funding for most student organizations are membership dues and other fundraising ideas. This is from the student handbook that's distributed to all the student organizations. That's at page 300 of the Joint Appendix. So even the university doesn't view the mandatory fee system as essential or critical to the existence of this. How, how old is, is this fee? I, I just wonder whether universities are going to crumble if, if they can't do this kind of thing. How? Is, is, is this a long-standing uh, uh, tradition in, in universities? No. no. In, in fact, from what we can tell, it's, it's, uh, it may have started at the beginning of the university, but the funding of these kinds of groups can only be traced back to the Vietnam War era from uh, the Wisconsin Attorney General opinions and stuff like this. So this is a very recent innovation to fund these kind of ideological advocacy groups on campus. Mr. Lawrence, you, you have, and, and members of the Court have from time to time invoked the, or mentioned the principle of the right not to speak. Yes. And I'd, I'd like you to comment on this. I at least have understood the right not to speak. To be a right not to uh, a, a vow of silence, but rather a, a right not to espouse a position. Uh, if that is correct, then the argument that you keep being met with, uh, that in fact there is such a variety of voices here that this funding mechanism simply cannot be analogized to being forced uh, to speak a particular position, adopt a particular position, or sponsor a particular position. Would you comment on that? Is that, as I have 
just mm-hmm. characterized it a proper way of looking at the at the right not to speak? And and if so, why are you not vulnerable to the argument that when there is no one voice, the principle really does not support you? Well, uh, a couple of things. I think in a boot and Keller, uh, Justice Souter, that uh, if the union of the bar association had been funding multiple candidates or differing points of view uh, to to kind of be more inclusive or something like that, this problem still would remain. That there would there there would still be a violation there. Well, I don't know. Well, do, do you accept that that the right not to speak is simply the right not to? Uh have yourself associated with with that view? I, I thought I thought we had a case that said a, a, a newspaper could not be compelled to accept uh, advertising that would obviously be uh, representing the views of somebody else and not of the newspaper itself. That's correct. It's it's, it's so it isn't just a matter of your being identified with that uh, with that view. You shouldn't you shouldn't have to. Uh, uh, have your uh, your your means used to espouse it if you don't want to. Yes, you're, 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 you have a constitutional right, Justice Scalia, to just stand back and say, I'm going to not enter into this debate, and I'm not going to uh, fund a position in this well, debate that I don't agree with. But you don't you don't place your your objecting students. I take it in the same position uh, as a newspaper, which is asserting a, a, a peculiar editorial um, freedom. Maybe you do. Well, they're they're promoting the message of the organizations. Maybe the, the, they're not being identified that uh, Scott Southworth supports the views of the socialist organization. Well, they're, they're promoting. Further. You're you're right. They're promoting a message. But that doesn't describe the totality of what's going on. They are facilitating uh, the promotion of a series of messages, uh, which may be indeed quite inconsistent uh, as among themselves. And whatever that is, that is something different from being compelled as a union member or a bar association member to take a particular position, to fund a particular position in the course of, of partisan political activity. Well, in, in light of Rosenberger, that the university cannot discriminate on the basis of viewpoint, which means that students, it would be impermissible for students to lobby the student government or the university and say, cut off funding to this, the X group because we don't agree with them. They have to be funded on a viewpoint-neutral basis. I think that the only, that, that Rosenberger points to a, a Bood-Keller-type solution here so that dissenters who object to these groups have a way to protect their right of conscience. If, if we don't do that, then that means, as was brought up earlier, the African-American students can be compelled to, to support the KKK. The Jewish students can be compelled to support a group that wants to put well, Israel but a, a, the a, a, Again, the force of your argument depends on denying that what you are supporting, what your students are supporting, uh, is a funding mechanism, is a pot from which money is taken. Instead, you analyze it down immediately to the individual groups. Mm-hmm. And I'm, in effect, asking you the converse of the question that I asked the, the lawyer on the other side. Uh, why is it that I should look at this case? Why should I analyze this case 
as being funding for individual groups as opposed to funding uh, for a, a, a pot of gold from which quite disparate and inconsistent voices uh, can have access. Well, Your, your Honor, that uh, let me try this, Justice Souter, that uh, if there's a campus auditorium and a group speaks there, at the end of the median, meeting, the auditorium remains, it's under university control, and the group goes home. Under this system, if this is a forum of money, the money is given over to the group and is converted into their message. The money becomes the speech. Oh, but the, of the value group. of the auditorium, in a way, is converted into messages. I mean, if you want to take the long view, at some point auditoriums wear out and they fall down with use. So you can say that every group that packs the auditorium is taking something out of the fabric. Uh, and, and is using it for the, for the purpose of, of espousing the group's message. Uh, the only difference seems to me one of time. Well, I, I think there's more to it than that, Justice Souter. I mean, I think it's just not that uh, we've got some wear and tear on an auditorium when a group uses it. I think that when you're giving money to them, you're funding uh, the, the, what, they're, what they're given money for is to fund their overhead expenses, to underwrites their whole basic mission. Yeah, but the, the argument, them. well, but it, that, that, let's, let's say you, you, you may have two arguments here. One, that the funding is going further than the funding should go for purposes of speech. That's one argument. I think you're getting that at the end. And I, I don't mean to dismiss that, but if you put that to the side for the moment, uh, the, the argument that the, that the money is being used to, to fund and espouse a particular speaker's viewpoint is simply a way, I, I think, a, perhaps a, a, um, is the answer to that is simply the same answer as the auditorium answer. The auditorium answer would be, look, we can't have a babble of voices without an auditorium for, this, for them to speak. Uh, and with respect to your objection, the university would say, we simply cannot have this variety of speakers without some underwriting. We've got to get them here. Uh, they, they won't come otherwise, and we ought to have this speech. Uh, so that it seems to me that, the, again, the, the university's role in supplying the auditorium uh, and, and a funding mechanism is essentially the same. Well, Your, Your Honor, I, I think that there's still direct funding here. That I don't think, for example, the union in Abood could have said, we're funding both the Republican and the Democratic candidates because we think uh, it would enhance the electoral process to have both voices. We, we would have had some new union officers if they had been doing that's right. that. I, I that. That's correct, yeah. Your Honor. Uh, that they couldn't somehow disassociate themselves and say these objecting uh, union members in a boot, they have nothing to complain about. They agree with one side or the other, so we've somehow put enough buffer between here that we can, uh, that there's no First Amendment claim. Well, I think that you, would compound the, the problem. I didn't want to get into this, but if, if you get to that point, then you get to really to the question of, of your analogy with, with a boot. And, and, and the, the union organization, in fact, uh, is, is, a, is a membership organization, and we don't have that feature here. And, and so when, when you carry the, the argument as you did, the question would then come up in the union or the bar association case, uh, is, is, is this going to the very justification for compelling the membership or the, or the support for activity. So I think you're, I think that, I think that injects a, a, an, another element in the argument. Well, as, I, and I would say, 
that the university as a state actor has a constitutional duty to respect the, the right of conscience of the students. Their education mission must be subordinate to that. That they, they, they cannot view the student's right of conscience as some sort of roadblock. I asked about an activities fee. Ninety percent goes for sports events, five percent for the annual yearbook, and five percent for the student newspaper. Would that be permissible? Because and the student newspaper gets ca- captured by a communist board of directors and editorial policy. That happens all the time. <laughs> At least it did when I was and, in school. But they call it. <laughs> And, and when it does, they call it a service. <laughs> what about that answer? What about uh, that hypothetical? Your Honor, uh, let me just speak. And I might say also there's a greater danger that this student will be identified as associated with the views of the school paper than when you got an indirect thing like this. Um, that's about three hypos in one here, Your Honor, that uh, uh, Justice Stevens, that uh, — I would say it this way. There's no abood complaint against non-speech activity. So I think the athletic uh, stuff would be fine. Uh, if, if there's, there's no... That's, that's the easy part. The right. newspaper is the hard part. The abood case, uh, 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 there's no abood claim for government speech. The newspapers may fall into that, the student newspapers, if it's the official university one. We don't have that case here, and I... I know that all the lower courts have resolved it the other way. And the third thing, I don't recall, Justice Stevens, was... Well, it's, it's, it's captured by a group that, with which the person who has to pay the activity fee violently disagrees, particularly because it's the, the University of Chicago Daily Maroon that's associated with all students at the University of Chicago. I think that there were... Not a I, I do not know the answer to it because I think there's a government speech issue. If you have... Uh, Rosenberger's newspaper, I think people could object to funding its Christian proselytizing. But the, the, we were talking here about a university newspaper. I, isn't the argument available that this is one of the instructional devices at the university? Yes. And yes. that it should take particular views is, is no more extraordinary than that you should have a communist professor. That's right, Your Which Honor. also happens. That's right, Justice Scalia. Yes. That's right, Your Honor. Um, Um, In conclusion, the Seventh Circuit correctly uh, ruled that the University of Wisconsin's mandatory fee system violates the Abood and Keller rights of the students. The university may have an educational mission, but it has a greater First Amendment duty to protect and recognize the right of conscience of each individual student. If you allowed opt-out as Abood, and then you have students that don't opt out, so you still have a fund. Yes. Could the students who opt out then make a demand uh, for viewpoint-neutral funds? If the if the funds you're were, a wobbly, you, wop, you you opt out, so your funds aren't used. Can they then demand that the funds that are used still be used on a viewpoint-neutral basis? Uh, there might be a free rider question there, Your Honor. I'm not sure. Thank you, Mr. Lawrence. Ms. Ullman, you have one minute remaining. Setting aside Whisper, the other groups that were funded through GSFs were services, and there's no claim that there was any viewpoint discrimination there. The University of Wisconsin. Services. Yes, the University of Wisconsin uh, 
has determined that it is important to facilitate the speech of diverse groups, that this furthers the university's educational mission and First Amendment values. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Alma. The case is submitted.